0: this is roger clark and i'm your host today on this episode of the fourscore and seven project a production of new majority foundation a question that many americans are asking today is do we have confidence and faith in our elections most polling shows that somewhere between one-third to fifty percent of americans believe that they do not trust the election process There may be many reasons for that, but this is critical because it raises the question that if you have a substantial number of Americans who don't trust and have confidence in the election process, do we have a viable representative democracy? Well we're fortunate today to have someone talk to us about these issues, Derek Lyons. Derek is the President and CEO of Wright. that's an acronym standing for, and Derek, correct me if I have this wrong, but restoring integrity and trust in elections. Um, Derek is a Harvard graduate, also a Duke graduate, I believe, so he's got some Southern education, Northeastern education in his blood, so he's well-rounded. He also has tremendous amount of experience in very senior positions on both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue. Derek, thank you so much for joining us today. Roger, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So Derek, tell us a little bit about the history of Wright, uh, how it came to be and uh, where Wright is going. Thanks. Um, So Wright was founded about a year ago. um,
1: And the idea behind it is that uh, citizens should have 100% confidence uh, in their institutions of self-government and their democracy in the ballot box. Uh, and so w- the idea was to uh, found an organization that uh, would work to preserve elections as the democratic voice of the people. Um, you know, elections are incredibly important, monumental events in a republic such as ours. Uh, they are the institution, the only institution really that ordinary citizens have to um, speak their voice and set the course of uh, this great country, whether it's on the local level, uh, the state level, or the, or the federal level, and uh, for that reason, because you know so many other institutions are controlled by the elites, but elections are controlled by the people, or should be, and therefore uh, elections systems have to be designed and implemented and safeguarded so that the results reflect the will of our citizens and enjoy the full faith and confidence of the public, uh, as you noted in your introduction, without confidence in the elections, uh, we really it's hard to say we have a self-governing republic. Um, Not only does it demoralize people and uh, keep them away from the the elections process, but uh, it also makes it impossible to say that the the elections ultimately reflect the will of the people. Um, And so uh, that's why we were founded to, to try and make sure that that this critical institution was is preserved and serves that that goal.
0: So Derek, uh, extraordinarily important work that you're doing. Uh, can you give us some insight how you implement the goals that you seek to preserve?
1: Sure. So our organization works mostly through the courtroom or through you know, legal processes, if it's not in a courtroom, uh, perhaps in front of a a state administrative agency like a board of elections. And, you know, we sort of operate with, you know, three pillars of our organization. So we, first of all, we try to defend uh, state laws that we believe are lawful, uh, consistent with state constitutions, federal constitutions, uh, and that protect the integrity of the ballot box. The second thing we do is you know once those laws are on the books they have to be enforced they have to be enforced uh, even handedly uh, and according to their to their terms and you know there's a lot of actors in the election system uh, implementing those laws and will we will bring lawsuits or file complaints uh, against election officials uh, who in our view are deviating from uh, from the from the law and uh, you know ask courts to issue injunctions to bring them back in line and the third thing we do is, you know, there's a there's a, a very well-funded industry out there uh, that is seeking to you know, tear down uh, these laws. And so, in the course of defending them, these election integrity laws, we're also, you know, looking at the these tools and trying to make sure they're not abused. Uh, you know, take take the tools out of the toolbox uh, from the left, so that. Uh, you know they can't sow this mistrust in our elections uh like they've like they've been doing and you know cast dispersions on on election laws that are really only there to you know ensure that at the end of the day uh there is a a well defined result that enjoys the confidence and trust of of the citizenry
0: so 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 derek uh on this issue one man's um, election integrity is another man 's voter suppression. How did we get to this
1: yeah I, I think I think one one way we got here is that we we've lost sight of what elections are supposed to be, and they 've turned into really sort of pure partisan power plays. so you know when we step back and we think about elections being the institution that ordinary Americans have to speak to their government to say this is how I want to be governed uh, you know I ha- I have a view about you know the course and direction of the nation and I'm I want to speak it and I want to say that uh, you know those are that's something that's controlled by the people uh, that's for the people and it's not you know it may have partisan outcomes but it's not a partisan uh, exercise and I think you know what's happened is because there's so much power that is allocated on the basis of these elections. Partisan actors have gotten in there, and they want to paint people in black hats and white hats. Um, and they so they 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 feel very comfortable casting aspersions on normal everyday Americans who want nothing more than a clean, fair election process run by the rules. And they want to you know they want to inflame passions, and they 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 feel comfortable casting their fellow citizens, neighbors friends as as vote suppressors and it's really unfortunate you know in an era where it's never been easier to vote in this country uh, you know now we have weeks in many states of early voting we have no excuse mail-in voting in many states many states have extremely low bars to registration some states even have no registration requirements I think in North Dakota some states have same-day registration the point is is if you today have a view about the direction of this country and want to express it. The obstacles to you doing that are are very low. And the laws that we defend and the laws that we seek to enforce are democratically popular laws put in place by Democratic actors, elected representatives in response to their constituents saying, for me, for us to have confidence in the outcome of this election, we want to be sure that the people who show up to vote are who they say they are. So we want voter ID. We want signature matching. We want ballot integrity measures. Those are the things that we want so that we know that the outcome of this election is what people say it is. And it's it's not an unreasonable request. And it's I think it's quite uh, it's a little beyond the pale, really, to call it vote suppression. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you you mentioned uh, voter ID and From my perspective, uh, the issue of voter ID is ground zero on the debate between voter suppression and election integrity. Um, uh, Earlier this year, I believe, uh, the state of Ohio passed a voter ID requirement. Uh, I understand there's been some litigation associated with that. Um, uh, Is Wright involved in any of that litigation?
1: We we are. We're supporting um, a couple of uh, citizens in Ohio uh, who have also worked uh, as election workers uh, to to come to the defense of that law alongside the state of Ohio, the solicitor general, uh, sorry, the attorney general of Ohio and the secretary of state of Ohio. And I think, you know, let's take a step back on voter ID and just let's think about what it's trying to do It is trying to make sure that every person who shows up to the ballot box is the person they say they are. And th- that's a very reasonable. Um, that's a very reasonable reco- request uh, for, for people to fulfill. It doesn't and it's not an overly burdensome one, you know, in in state after state where we have voter I.D., photo I.D. put in place, uh, you know, the elections in those states are running fine. It's not democracy has not died in those states. And for the most part every voter who every person who wants to vote and again speak their voice into the into that election can can satisfy these requirements whether it's you know a US passport a driver's license another form of state ID the list goes on and in many states you know they they've even taken the uh, the step of saying if you are willing to show up to to vote and tell us and sign your name to a certification that says I just could not get this ID even though Mm -hmm. it's readily available and free and you sign your name to that, you get to vote there, too. So Mm -hmm. I think uh, I think this notion that it's, you know, somehow suppressing the vote again is 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 meant to rile up partisan passions and, you know, make the elections yet another the elections itself, the mechanics of the election, yet another ground for partisan battle in this country. And And it really shouldn't be that. We all agree that the person who shows up to vote should be that person, and it is not an unreasonable uh, thing for the state to verify that as, mm-hmm. uh, as that process is taking place.
0: Well, a well, wonderful thing about the federalist system that we have, we have 50 laboratories, um, 50 separate laboratories, and quite a few of those laboratories, meaning states, uh, have voter ID requirements. And I suspect that uh, there are statistics out there that we could go to each of these individual laboratories, laboratories where voter ID is required and uh, other laboratories, again, states where voter ID is not required, and we can do a statistical comparison uh, on voter uh, turnout. Do we have any data like that to compare voter turnout in those different type of laboratories?
1: Sure. there's. I mean, there's, a, there's somebody could, could do the work. I think one of the things with voter turnout is you you end up with a lot of confounding variables um, that, that really distort the analysis. So, you know, the main drivers of voter turnout are, uh, it, it seems to me, one, uh, the culture of voting in that particular state or jurisdiction. So, for example, Minnesota has had historically high turnout for a long time. They liberalized their voting laws, and I think turnout sort of stayed high i'm not sure they saw an appreciable increase um, you know in other states uh, the the, uh, the uh, sorry another driver of turnout is of course going to be candidates from election to election so you know we saw we saw big spikes in turnout in 2016 2018 2020 compared to you know the the previous presidential or midterm before that and it's come down it came down a little bit in 2022 I think pinning this on the laws that are in place in any particular state is probably um you know, you're probably looking at inframarginal impacts uh to turnout. Because I think what really drives turnout is, you know, do you think your vote counts and do you want it to count? And do you have something to say about the government mm-hmm. in your mm-hmm. state or or your country? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some states have had photo ID, like Virginia, and then not had it. Um, you know. My guess is if you looked at the data, turnout went up, but only because the elections after they got rid of it were these sort of very uh, intense uh, elections uh, where where people had a lot to say about the direction of the country. And I think it probably had very little to do with, you know, that Virginia didn't have voter uh, photo ID in place for for those elections. Um, So I think, you know, turnout is 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 an interesting measure of the health of our democracy. I think it's an important one. I'm not sure we've... Um, you know, come up with much that's better, but, you know, disaggregating, dissecting the elements of turnout, I think ultimately doesn't have as much to do with um, these, these background laws as, as one might think.
0: Hmm. Well, the um, law in Ohio uh, was a law uh, passed by a democratically elected legislature, signed into law by a democratically elected governor, um uh, and it apparently has been challenged in the courtroom as what is the basis to a challenge uh how would that legally be classified in a court of law
1: sure so the, i mean the the basis of this so let me take a step back for a second um you know photo id is is interesting because uh it's sort of this boogeyman it is the the alleged sin qua non of voter suppression You know, you ask somebody to verify their identity at the ballot box uh, with a photo ID. And, um, you know, according to uh, some folks on the left, according to our current president, you know, this is this is the um, reinsertion of Jim Crow into the United States. Mm -hmm. But uh, but really, it's overwhelmingly popular with people, uh, you know, um, and it's very common
0: throughout throughout the planet, I believe, isn't it? Most uh, republics do have voter ID requirements.
1: It's it's extremely common throughout, throughout the world uh, where right. where there's, where there's um, voting taking place. But it's also in this country, it's dramatically popular, overwhelming bipartisan majorities of people support photo ID. And and it's not hard to see to see why they want some assurance that the people who are showing up to vote uh, are the people who say they are. And overwhelmingly they are. And so just but, ver- but verifying that is um, is something that people want. It's something that people say gives them sure. faith. Uh, in in their in their elections. So in this particular case t- to to circle back to your question uh you know the allegation is that imposing a photo ID requirement um undermines the fundamental right to vote, the first amendment based fundamental right to vote vote that uh that uh that every citizen of this country possesses um by virtue of their citizenship and the first amendment to the constitution. And uh, you know this is this is a uh, this that's the nature of the claim. And the way that it's evaluated is under a balancing test where you look at the burden that it's impo- that's being imposed, uh, which we say is extremely minimal uh, against the uh, benefit that to be achieved. And uh, we say in the government's interest in imposing that uh, requirement, which we say is is quite high, if for no other reason. And there are other reasons. But if for no other reason that it's. It is a a means of giving people confidence that the election uh, that takes place is is, in fact, you know, legitimate. It, it gives them confidence that they can wake up the next day, hear the results and say, OK, this is how my fellow citizens wanted our state to be governed. This is how our fe- fe- these are the types of representatives my fellow citizens wanted to send to Washington. And, you know, maybe I'm happy with that. Or maybe I'm disappointed in that result. But because there were safeguards in place, I know that that process had integrity. And then I can go about my life being a citizen and not worrying about, you know, Mm -hmm. is somebody trying to steal elections?
0: Is there any uh, court anywhere in the United States that has held a voter ID requirement as being an impermissible burden on the First Amendment right to vote?
1: So um these these challenges uh often fail. Most states have been successful in defending their photo ID requirements. It uh I believe in I believe the Fourth Circuit in uh you know um struck down a photo ID requirement uh a few years ago, um maybe about 10 years ago. Um and I believe it was on on these grounds. There were, there may have also been uh, uh, some some additional grounds, but the point was is that I think what the court determined was there weren't. It wasn't easy enough for folks to get the right type of identification uh, at that time. I think that was a contestable conclusion, but at any event, that's what the court concluded. Uh, Virginia later rectified that. Um, you know what the court said was a deficiency, and its next iteration of the law was stood. Uh, withstood challenge, so I think you know we can say going back to 2008 when the Supreme Court blessed um, Indiana's photo ID requirement. You know the, the default presumption is really that these laws are constitutional, and it takes quite a bit of a showing for the other side to uh, t- to take them down. But that doesn't stop them from trying every time they're uh, every time they're enacted.
0: Well with the Ohio case, um, is there some effort to have a, a preliminary injunction before the final ruling to prohibit the enforcement of uh, the voter ID law?
1: No, uh, the other side you know they filed their lawsuit and they've been content to uh, see it see it progress on the ordinary uh, timetable and so in fact, um, <clears throat> Ohio has an election they just had a primary election that was conducted under this uh, new law and seems to have gone fine um, right, right. you know they didn't they didn't seek to enjoin the law for that for that election, so really you know they're really uh, after here is uh, they want to change the results not of primary elections uh, so much as again it's a partisan ploy to uh, tilt the playing field in favor of their more liberal uh substantive agenda
0: right right well see november twenty twenty four is uh looming on our near future it's on the horizon Uh, is this an issue that you think is going to get resolved uh, in ohio before the uh, 2024 presidential election
1: i expect it will be the court the court seems to be proceeding apace i don't think it will linger uh you know through the next election and i i fully expect that election will be conducted
0: uh with photo id in place in ohio well you also mentioned another term and just kind of shift the crosshairs on this from voter id because Uh, You mentioned signature verification. Uh, The statistics seem to indicate now that maybe only about uh, one-quarter of voters show up on election day to vote, Um, 40-50% of the people now vote uh, by mail-in, and most places uh, determine the validity of those ballots based upon a signature verification. Uh, Walk through that a little bit. Um, how does a signature get verified when the mail-in ballot is received to make sure that it's the uh, true and accurate vote of the person it purports to be from?
1: So thanks, yeah, this uh, signature matching is, you know, an important ballot integrity measure uh, in states uh, that, ha- that have it in place. Uh, not every state has it in place. Um, some of the more liberal states will uh, just accept a ballot that has a, a signature that that purports to be from the voter, um, but it doesn't compare to anything, uh, you know, before that ballot is counted. Uh, other states have moved past signatures uh, to to uh, alphanumeric codes uh, that are put in place on registration and then matched with the ballot. Usually this is um, a driver's license numbers mm-hmm. or some other mm-hmm. form of uh, uh some other number that's selected by the voter mm-hmm. um but where where it isn't played and, and then where it is in place it it varies in terms of how it's implemented uh some states like nevada run run it through machines first and then you know where the machine identifies a discrepancy some humans will uh, take a look at it and usually it's uh, two or th- you know, usually it's more than one uh, person and they know sort of come try to come to an agreement and there's a process beyond that if there's not not an agreement um before, and then for the most part uh you know the ballot's not rejected if the signature doesn't match but the voters contacted and they try to divine the providence of that of that ballot uh yeah. so it's it's a lengthy process but why is it important well you know without it there's really no assurance that the ballot came back from the person who was sent to you know ballots get sent in some states live ballots will be sent out to every registered voter on a list uh, mm-hmm. many of those will land in po boxes or um vacant lots uh apartment buildings that people have moved from and you know these ballots can be returned by anybody uh you know who's willing to sign their name uh, subject to the penalty of perjury of course but Mm -hmm. um you know with with enforcement being what it is uh you know there's that's the that's the only check would be you know some law enforcement official noticing something has gone wrong and and doing something about it but with signature matching you know you can see the the ballot come back you see the signature on file and what they basically look for is you know sufficient points of comparison so you know do the loops look the same does the rs generally look the same uh and for the most part, if there's sufficient similarity, the ballot goes through. And if there's and if there's not, and people agree, uh, you know, or they can't, people can't agree on it. Again, there's typically a, a curing process uh, right. that will try to rehabilitate that ballot before it's uh, before it's excluded. Well,
0: I find it hard to believe that there uh, are enough handwriting experts, you know, in the country to have professionally trained people comparing these uh, signatures. What what kind of qualifications or training? Do the people who are actually doing the comparison have to make sure it's an accurate uh, comparison?
1: Well, again, it's going to vary from state to state. Um, so, you know, in Nevada they do have these machines that take the the first cut at it. Uh, after that, there is there is a fair amount of I think training that the election workers go through. I think the rigor will depend, you know, from state to state. But the point is, is that a ballot's not being excluded, you know, just because uh, there's no sort of forensic analysis on it for the most part they're looking for a few points of comparison that give that give the folks enough confidence that it you know more likely than not came from the from the person it purports to be from and then if not reaching out to that person to give them an opportunity to confirm no that that's my ballot right, and right. uh and and uh and and put it in the ballot box
0: well you, you mentioned uh, i want to uh, I want to just dwell on this other point for him you you mentioned that uh uh, some states have a alphanumeric match. Uh, describe that. How th- how does that work?
1: Yeah, so I think, so for example, Georgia, you know, had a lot of trouble with its signature matching. I, I think, you know, somewhat famously in 2020, um, you know, ballot rejection rates <clears throat> uh, went way down in Georgia and there was, you know, some concern that the signature matching process had gotten too loose, uh, that they were clearing more signa- more. Uh, They were determining matches in more cases than they had in the past. Uh, But that so what they did is the legislature got to work It said, you know, signature matching is important. It's the thing that, you know, ensures us that the ballot came back from the right person. But is there something better we can be doing? And I think what they put in place is, um, you know, an ID number, uh, the driver's license number so that, you know, when you fill out your absentee ballot, Mm -hmm. you put your driver's license number uh, Mm -hmm. When it when it comes in, it's a much more objective comparison. They can just look to see if the numbers match. And if they do, that ballots cleared for uh, the certification process.
0: So Um, so has that it's
1: it's a more objective uh, process? Yeah.
0: What has that been um, uh, um, described as voter suppression or Jim Crow 2.0?
1: Yeah, so all those laws in Georgia um, are still are subject to litigation right now. I mean, this is all part of what's called the SB202 litigation. Um, It's pending uh, before the federal courts in Georgia right now.
0: Yeah. Do you think we'll have a resolution to that uh, before the November 2024 presidential election?
1: I do. That case also seems to be proceeding apace. You know, Mm -hmm. the question of full resolution is a little more challenging because. All right. There's appellate courts, and you never know if they're going to take the case, you know, on an emergency expedited time frame or not. But sure. I do think we'll have at least, you know, an initial cut at it from the from the district court by then.
0: There's there's some tension between voter ID requirements and all these very huge mail-in ballots because we're talking about signature verification, maybe enough in America and Georgia, uh, to verify that the ballot is from the person who it purports to be from but are there any states that require a photocopy of the driver's license or the voter ID to be returned along with the uh, um absentee ballot yes
1: yeah, so i think wisconsin uh, does that and one other state i believe but wisconsin for sure so they're requiring um photocopy of the id to be returned along along with the ballot but mm-hmm. again this is um you know This is this is just a way to ensure that the ballots are coming back from the people that they're supposed to be coming back from, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, as more as more voting moves out of the ballot box. uh, You know, we need to continue to be sure that the the ballot box is being protected, Uh, because, Mm -hmm. again, it is the it's the it's the institution we have to 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 uh, set the course of the country and we should be we should be enforcing the rules around it so that everybody After it happens, can have confidence and trust that, you know, that the way that this country is going to be governed is the way that people want it to be governed.
0: Well, that kind of brings us to the issue of uh, what's called ballot harvesting. Uh, California's kind of been in the forefront of this uh, ballot harvesting uh, uh, program, where uh, individuals can go out and you know collect a number of ballots from others. Uh, Generally, uh, I think in the past. Uh, some states allowed family members, uh, to return a fa- other family members ballot, but California has opened it up, uh, where it's much broader than that, and there's a lot of concern that the ballot harvesting destroys the concept of a secret ballot because there could be direct, uh, interference between the person harvesting the ballot and the voter, some influencing exercise in a private room or an office or wherever that contact may take place. Uh, or I think even in uh, North Carolina, I think it was the 9th Congressional District uh, a couple of years ago, there was uh, some hanky-panky, so to speak, where uh, harvesting was going on, but the ballots were being uh, falsified, and that all got, got worked out in the wash through litigation. Um, but your thoughts on, on ballot harvesting, the threats that ballot harvesting poses to the sanctity of fair elections?
1: Sure. So, I mean, I think actually North Carolina is a great uh, North Carolina example is a great one because uh, not for the country, but, you know, it didn't it didn't really get washed out in litigation. They ended up running a whole new election. They determined that mm. election was irredeemably tainted by fraud. And they had a special election to elect a new uh, to elect a new representative. You know, I think, you know, ballot harvesting, ballot trafficking. Um, This the this is uh, something that one, as you mentioned, resulted in a in a very serious uh, uh, flaw in an election that that, that seriously undermined uh, its outcome. And nobody should have had faith or confidence in that election. And indeed, they did not right. and they ran it. Right. Um, but also it's an intrusion uh, on the on the secret ballot. You know, we we fought and the people fought in this country for a long time to say the vote must be private. Uh, it needs to be protected from outside influences. And we were willing to go to great lengths to do that. And so we put people, you know, in individual booths behind curtains, and uh, you know, we we make it uh, clear that you know election officials or people around aren't supposed to be near the voter while they're while they're voting. And then they uh, put it in the machine themselves, and you know, then it's stored in a secure box. And then and whenever it's actually touched by anybody, it's you know, at that point, it's been anonymized. Um, but ballot harvesting sort of takes that away. I mean, in theory, ballot harvesting, ballot traffickers are only, you know, taking completed ballots. But the truth is, is we don't know what happens behind mm-hmm. behind the mm-hmm. scenes. We don't know mm-hmm. what happens when, some, you know, people go around canvassing neighborhoods for ballots. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it because we don't know, we can't say that we still have a secret ballot really in, in this country. Um, I think another thing I'd like to say about ballot harvesting and ballot trafficking is that it's. It's just the abuse, uh, I think, of of what started out as a good idea, a well-intentioned idea, which is that some people do need help with their ballots. Some people need help in the ballot box, uh, you know, if they're in the poll, uh, in the poll box. And they're allowed to have people there to help them, whether it's to read or translate Mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, we know that some people need help voting. And, you know, as we've expanded into mail balloting, we know that some people need need help with their ballots. But it's a it's a it's a huge jump to go from helping your family member, uh, you know, return their ballot, uh, you know, somebody who perhaps they're confined to their bed or something like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. sort of this sort of blanket assumption that, well, we all sort of need a little help with our ballot. Like, who isn't too busy uh, to do you know, all the daily tasks of life? And if somebody shows up and wants to collect your ballot, all the all the better for it. You know, so what if they're paid by the party? Uh, so what if they're paid by people with certain interests? Um, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. give them your ballot; they'll help you out. These people need assistance too. You know, there's a certain amount of of work that's involved in the in the right. in the project of self-government. You know, we all we all need to uh, uh, you know do what's required to be heard to participate in the process. And so you know what they did is they took. They took an idea that was designed to help people who truly needed it, basically expanded it into a loophole, and now it's a get-out-the-vote operation. And it really shouldn't be that way. Uh, you know, the people who want to speak to the and and have their voices heard in the government um, should do so, but they should they should follow the rules and 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 participate through one of the many many uh, easy ways to do so in in each state across the country. And it's not too much really to ask people to return their own their ballot or you know, at most to hand it to um, a relative or or a friend uh, to, to return for them. But this sort of large scale ballot harvesting, as I said, one, we, ha- we know that it is susceptible to fraud. And two, it undermines a secret ballot, which is a
0: mm. which has
1: become, you know, a core tenant of our of our d- democracy. Mm-hmm. I guess it doesn't have to be, but it is now. And I think mm-hmm. most people agree that it should be.
0: Well, I believe there's um, eight states, at last count anyway, that have 100% mail-in balloting. Um, you know, there's a number of uh, states that uh, have no excuse uh, absentee balloting. Um, I think there's still 16, 17 states where you need, either need to be ill, disabled or out of the county on election day in order to request an absentee ballot. Then there's a host of states, no excuse, just send me the absentee ballot. But there's a number of states, eight of them, California is one, where all the ballots are mailed to all voters. Um, So you have 100 percent absentee balloting uh, automatically, uh, which raises the question of the reliability of the individuals who are receiving these these ballots. you know, California has a lot of people leaving the state now. They are registered voters. They could be in Nevada, they could be in Texas, they, they could be in Kansas, Washington, uh, Ohio. We, we, we don't know where. Um, but yet, uh, you, you have someone that's still registered in California, they may be registered now in the state of their new location. So they could have two votes, they may have two votes. Uh, they could, they could in, it's illegal, but you could cast two votes the question I have for you, though, with that background, is, is there any process um, where we have any type of uniformed purging of voter rolls that can cross-reference between the states? We certainly have the technology to do that. The question, do we have the willpower to do it or the coordination amongst the states to do that?
1: Yeah, so this is something that, that we're uh, working on. The, the answer is not... Not really, unfortunately. for For starters, um, some courts have said that it's perfectly fine and reasonable for people to maintain registrations in two separate states, which we dis- we disagree with. Um, you know you To vote in a state, you're supposed to be resident in that state. Establishing residency for voting purposes is not particularly difficult. But, the, but you should only be a resident of one state at a time. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. for starters, it just isn't even the case that, you know, being registered in two states is seen as problematic by some, including some courts. Mm. Uh, additionally, cleaning the voter rolls is has been a it's a full time endeavor uh, for some very some very passionate people who work in my space, who, you know, friends and colleagues of ours. Uh, and they do they do great work. But at the end of the day, most many states, voter rolls aren't as clean as they should be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, people move. So they've left a the state. People mm-hmm. die. Um, people uh, some people surrender their registration. But beyond mm-hmm. that. Uh, the the in states where live ballots are going out to the, to to full voter lists, we just know that they're piling up in places mm-hmm where they shouldn't. And these are not Mm -hmm. ballot applications. These are Mm -hmm. these are votes that if they come back and they have a signature and it let's say it matches or is close enough to matching or even states, some states that don't have the match. That's Mm -hmm. that ballot comes back. It goes in the in the ballot box. Nobody knows where it came from. Nobody knows Mm -hmm. if it came from a person who was formerly a resident or if it was voted by somebody on behalf of their deceased relative or any or anything else. And none of that none of that should be happening. So we do have um, you know the technology does exist that would help us um, better identify uh, suspect registrations uh flags you know that could then be investigated but the the legal framework is has not caught up and one of the reasons is uh, the political will is just not there uh, for people to make uh clean cleaning up the voter rolls a priority um, at the federal level or even or even at the state level. So the truth is, is that our voter rolls are not as clean as they should be. Some states do a better job than others. Um, but I think in some states they're almost uh, they're they're content to to focus their efforts elsewhere. And it's not clear to me why. I don't know why we would want live ballots going out um, to addresses where people may not live anymore, to vacant lots, to P.O. boxes. Right. Uh, None of, this, none of that makes a great deal of sense to me. And we could, we could clean it up uh, if we had the national will or, the, or on the state level, the state will to do it. Uh, but it doesn't seem like it's there.
0: Well, one, one thing you just said, and I want, to make, I want to pause on this because this is just shocking revelation. So I could legally vote in California and Nevada, at least according to some courts. I can vote in both places. Uh, and, and incur no criminal liability for that.
1: If I, I'm sorry if I wasn't clear. You could be registered in both places. You're not supposed to vote in both places. I see. Um, I you're see. supposed to vote in, in only one of them. But the truth is, is if you're registered in both, and you voted in both, uh, you know we we don't have great mechanisms, uh, right. at least to my knowledge, to identify those those people. So, for for example, a college student who uh, is in pennsylvania uh but from texas and gets a mail ballot from texas and walks into a ballot box in um, you know somewhere in philadelphia or anywhere else in the state you know they're not supposed to do that they're not supposed to vote under both registrations uh but i think i'm not sure it would be very easily uh, caught or identified
0: well if my constitutional law serves me right Uh, that the uh, place, timing, and manner of elections uh, are supposed to be determined by the individual states. Um, So if we wanted to have a mechanism where all 50 states could keep track of the movement of voters and how they're registered, it would require some cooperation uh, amongst the states, which the states don't necessarily have to provide, it seems to me, or some type of federal law, which may raise some constitutional implications on whether it's enforceable or not. What, what do you think about that?
1: Sure, so Congress does have the power under the constitution to, you know, put some uniform system in place uh, for this. I think we wanna be careful about that though. You know, one of our, one of our great safeguards is these laboratories that you uh, mentioned earlier and uh, that states do ultimately control their elections. And remember, most elections, um, are for offices that are not federal. Uh, they're for a variety of state offices that differ from state to state. Each state has a different culture around voting. Um, you know, each state, the people in each state believe different safeguards are needed. Some, you know, the, the people, as I mentioned, of North Dakota have been perfectly content without a system of registration, although they do have a system of uh, identification on the, on, on the back end. Other states uh, have a, have, a, have a registration system Ah, uh, plus a photo ID system, you know, with no excuse or absentee voting or or some other system. So you know I think that we want to be careful with uh, imposing a federal solution on this. The states can get together. They have. I mean, there have been many there have been efforts to do this. you know the 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 Eric system has been in the news uh, mm. quite a bit lately because this was supposed mm. to be an interstate effort to clean the voter roll. So person mm. moves to another state. You know they register Derek Lyons, pings the system. Where did he come from? He came from Texas. You know Texas. Hey, we've got this Derek Lyons with this type of social security number He's registering here. You know, you may want to contact him. Make sure he wants to be off the bat- the rolls in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know this this too was ended up being a system plagued by bipartisanship by uh, and is sort of falling apart because uh, more liberal states were using it uh as a means to identify what they call um eligible but unregistered voters Mm uh so and to contact them to sign them up uh and get them you know get them into the system for voting uh which is is you know in this country we should want people to participate in the election because they want to participate in the election because they have something to say about the election not necessarily because the government got after them and cajoled them to become a voter and and, and have a voice, you know, the, the voice should precede the voting and the registration, not not sort of the other way around. But in any event, uh, it wasn't doing a lot to clean up the voter rolls for, for a variety of different reasons. And uh, you know, some states protested and they they asked Eric to reform itself to do a better job of engaging in this interstate uh, cleanup initiative And the organization you know, kind of refused. And so we have this system, this um, situation right now where states are withdrawing from Eric, I think largely as, as a protest uh, because it was supposed to be the system that helped clean up the voter rolls, which is an critical element to election integrity. And it was sort of co-opted and turned into something else. And so mm. it remains to be seen what happens. I think there's people out there trying to propose new solutions uh, in as Eric, uh, it's E-R-I-C, as it falls, uh, well, as it sort of comes apart a little bit, uh, but right. to be seen, I mean, it's it's a big gap that states and secretaries of states really should be focusing on.
0: Well, before I let you go, um, what do you see on the horizon for right in 23, 2024? 20,
1: so we're you know we're active in uh about 10 states uh with, with about 10 different lawsuits going on uh and we're ju- we're gonna keep uh pounding away at that and expanding expanding our docket you know our mission as we go into 2024 is to do everything that we can to make sure that we have established rules in place that are protecting the integrity of the ballot box and that those rules are enforced uh so that you know when everybody sends in their mail ballot or goes to the polls early or votes on election day. Uh, you know, very shortly after that, we will see the results. We will know you know, who is going to be the president of this country for the next four years. We'll know who our senators are going to be, who controls the Senate, who controls the House uh, at the state level, who our governors are. Uh, what we want is for, we want to know those answers as quickly as possible with as little controversy as possible uh, after the election. And so we'll be. Uh, active in state courthouses and federal courthouses across the nation uh, to do our, do our level best to lay the groundwork for an election that Americans can have confidence in.
0: Well, Derek Lyons, president, CEO of Right, Restore Integrity and Trust in Elections. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I hope to have you back sometime. Would love to. Thanks for having me. Take care. You too.